Greetings, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, and uh, for those who haven't joined us before, uh, my name's Cujo uh, or Josh. We got uh, Dan up top there. We got, and I'm pointing in relation to my screen, Dave over there and Alex in the corner. So uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, appreciate having you guys here. Uh, we do have a, a couple different uh, news articles I do want to cover. Uh, some of them are... Uh, interesting uh as is this first one that's coming out of the federal register um in which a couple organizations reached out to uh the faa in relation to lance and uh has basically said that the approval process needs to be expanded somewhat and essentially what that means is they want uh more collection of data both prior to and after flight um in the lance system they they're basically saying it's uh too easy to get into the air and controlled airspace um so for those who uh don't know what lance is that's the uh uh geez, <laughs> trying to remember what the acronym now. stands for it's what you need to do yeah. to get low, authorization low authorization notification capability thank you perfect so low altitude authorization notification capability or Lance, um, and that's access through programs like Aloft, um, where you can go in, request uh, request uh, authorization to fly in controlled airspace, and uh, get near instant uh, feedback on whether you're capable of doing that or not. Yeah. So basically, um, if you're trying to fly roughly five miles from an airport, you need to use Lance to get authorization to fly up to whatever the altitude of how close you are to the airport and and mm. all that stuff to fly legally. And it works in cooperation with the FAA facility maps um, to determine how high you're you're able to fly. Um, the closer you are, uh, the lower you are able to fly. Um, and since some of us use it and a lot of people don't use it, they just want to throw even more barriers at the people who are too lazy to use it to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the biggest comments come from uh, the Airline Pilots Association, uh, or ALPA, uh, and they commented that the collection of information to process authorization requests has not been subject to sufficient safety risk evaluation and therefore cannot be fully determined whether the information collected is adequate to verify if safe operations can be conducted. Uh, believes that uh, the FAA's current minimum requirements for information and low-altitude authorization um and notification capability are not sufficient uh according to them additional uh them being alpha additional information including aircraft registration make and model information and post flight information should be collected so one of the things that crossed my mind when this first came across is once remote id is active most of that information is going to be uh transmitted um and with the exception of uh, broadcast modules, in which case it'll transmit the serial number of the broadcast module. Um, so in this inf information collection renewal request, the FAA proposes to use Lance and the web portal to collect information that provides a means for small UAS operators um, operating under uh, 44809 um, to comply with 44809's established requirements and safety processes. Uh, this proposed information collection is sufficient 
to meet safety standards and captures essential information. Um, so it says Alpha also commented that, that the FAA has not determined through its safety management system process the risk that UAS operating controlled airspace introduced to the national airspace. And therefore, Alpha is unable to determine if the information collected is adequate. So, uh, they, so if only they had a risk assessment that they could tell us that it doesn't pose much of a risk. Right. You know, like 80 years of, of operation in the airspace. I mean. All right. So let, let us uh, pat ourselves on the back uh, for this one because of the reputation that we've established with the crewed or manned aircraft community. I picked up the phone and called uh, our friends in ALPA, and I, I mean that uh, sincerely. These are people who have uh, helped us uh, understand uh, FAA regulations, who and how uh, to work uh, the system, and... Uh, We'll see if there uh, if there's a way that we can work together on this. But we're talking to uh, Alpa about what what is it that they want to uh, to propose uh, to the FAA, and that's a real positive and uh, patting ourselves on the back because we're able to just uh, make a direct phone call and uh, and get involved in this. So that's. I mean, uh, it, it seems like a positive. lot of this information is overlapped. So, like I said before, once remote ID rolls out. A good chunk of this information uh, will be transmitted by remote ID, whether it be yeah. standard remote ID or broadcast module. Now, the question is, is what information do they need to know after the fact? I mean, if there was an incident, uh, we already have the the, the NASA uh, safety reporting system that uh, you know takes thirty minutes to fill out a form, and and we can you know push out uh, any kind of issues there confidentiality. Confident. Uh, within, you know, confidential means or anonymous. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I agree with you, Josh. And I don't brush this aside. This one, this worries me from the perspective that it's a possible opening of the door about uh, network, uh, in addition to broadcast. And so Absolutely. we all know that with remote ID, uh, the FAA declared no net network capability uh, with remote ID, just broadcast, and this could open the door to let network back in, which of course. Uh, the unmanned traffic management uh, people would love to see as well. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I'm uh, not, this is yeah, this is non-trivial, and uh, but uh, good good for us that uh, we've got access at least. And thank you, Alex, for finding this for us. Uh, great work on that as well. Um, all right. So um, this one came from Dan. I did see this in the news uh, before he sent it, but uh, this is a pretty pretty interesting take on on what's going on with Express LRS. Yeah, the and... really weird thing for me is that this popped up like three or four times in my computer, like networking security mailing lists and websites and stuff. It's like, whoa, why is the Express LRS showing up at my, my work-related stuff, not at my hobby-related stuff? And it was just really odd to see it there. And a lot of those articles definitely like the people reading them don't know much about drones in general. So they're seeing right. this like, oh, well, there's a flaw in in drone uh, control, they don't know that like this isn't something used by DJI. This isn't something yeah. used by tons and tons of drones. It's yeah. It's and this is the funny doing. part is that anything with a drone when it comes to quadcopters, they always slap a DJI. Right. It's so it's so ridiculous. <laughs> that Mavic's but... not using Express LRS. No, it sure yep. isn't. 
Dan, and, did you have a chance to digest what what the implication of this might be? Um, I read it a little bit. Uh, I didn't really dig into the details of well, how the flaw works. Um, so, and I can go over that. It's it's a, actually a pretty interesting kind of thing. So, it's using a essentially Express LRS uses a, a binding phrase is what they're what they call it, and it covers it right here. So the um, binding phrase is about 75% of the binding code or the, uh, the seed, the randomly generated seed. And that's transmitted over open air. So if anybody is, is basically sniffing that, uh, they get 75% of the command uh, uh, to basically take over the drone. And, and after that, it's a pretty easy crack to come up with the last two parts of the seed. Um, and be able to take it over. So, uh, essentially, um, this is part of the bind phase, and it's an identifier that makes sure the correct transmitter is talking to the correct receiver, um, and it's not for security, it's for anti-collision, essentially, so that no, like a transmitter and a receiver talk exclusively to each other, um, as opposed, you know, when there's multiple in the air. So due to weaknesses related to the binding phase, it's possible to extract part of the identifier shared between the receiver and transmitter, according to the recent technical advisory. Um, this helps to find out the remaining portion of the identifier. Once the full identifier is discovered, it's possible to use an attacker's transmitter to control the craft containing the receiver with no knowledge of the binding phrase. So it, it's a pretty bad deal. Um, so, essentially, so don't use Express LRS if you're flying some really sensitive, gigantic drone that so, someone might want to take over. So one thing that I heard some of the Express LRS people saying is this doesn't just affect Express LRS. It expects that's the point I was going to bring it, up. It, it, yep, it also affects other control systems too, supposedly. Yeah. So my question comes in is how many different uh, transmitter receiver manufacturers are utilizing the same process to bind their uh, their transmitters and receivers? So it's a bad it's a bad deal all around. And at first I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so does is FR Sky affected by something like this? Is um, you know? Crossfire affected by this is any you know what else is affected by this? So hopefully people who run those different protocols are looking at this and and looking at the flaws in this and coming back and saying okay so we need to fix this. And related to well, the, similar to this, if you have any recent uh, Honda car, there's a similar attack where you can uh, cap uh, yep, capture the signal one. from your your remote and uh, mm -hmm. replay it to your car and unlock a, any Honda car. That was made That's in the last few years. Yeah, since 2012. <laughs> oh, God. That's a lot of cars on the market. A text chat brings up a good a good point in that you know what's what's the probability of someone taking over your drone? And I think Pretty that's low. Uh, yeah. I think mm. this could Lower create than getting shot a, down probably. <laughs> well, this could create a effectively a counter UAS or a jamming uh, capability. That would be nasty, but yeah, all of the all of the planets lining up and all of your settings being the same that someone could actually fly, you know, your <laughs> your craft. 
pretty yeah. low. I would see this more as being some article that people who <clears throat> want to scare people about drones will point to in the future. They say, see, like, they're see, not, it's not safe. Well, Joe, it's not secure. Not, yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not encrypted. None of that C2 link is encrypted. Right. Yeah. yeah. Probably more yeah. likely to get your drone shot out of the sky than get taken over by this. And I mean, yeah. what's the, those things happen? What's the the point like why would somebody want to take over our fpv drones or take over drone well maybe if you wanted to really cheat at your multi-gp racing you'd interfere with somebody <laughs> yeah. that is not a you suggestion heard... alex yeah. but well no i'm here. thinking it's an excuse for when i crash right? oh, oh somebody go. else somebody was flying drone. oh jeez <laughs> i need I a redo this, I, I saw this image of this guy <laughs> That's just funny. before I crashed. All right. So this is coming out of, uh, this is a very short article. I just thought it was pretty interesting. So this is coming out of Crawfordsville, Indiana. Um, no idea where that is. I didn't even look up the, the town. But uh, as the use of drones and unmanned uh, aircraft systems are gaining in popularity, the city of Crawfordsville is taking steps to regulate their use. Uh, the city council members approved the first reading of an ordinance that will regulate the operations of UAS in the cities. Uh, the council aims to adopt a similar ordinance already in place in West Lafayette, which states that UAS must remain a visual line of sight of the pilot. Okay, already does that. Um, the ordinance also states that UASs may not be flown higher than 50 feet. Uh, that might be a problem with preemption. Um, and that no person may launch a UAS over public property or any person's property without prior consent. Um, so that's uh, about the only part of this that I feel is probably going to be a, a sticking point. Um, but, uh, again, I think this is going to be a little bit of uh, a preemption nightmare, uh, if this ever has to go to court. Um, and where was this again? It's in Crawfordsville, Indiana. Okay. Yes, yes, governments are still doing this. Uh, it don't still expect trying. it to end anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: is that um, you know, there's still you know a lot of fear out there about drones, and I think uh, I know they, I know they always lose in the courts, but um, but you know, that's one of the things that. Uh, we work to try and, and curtail is, you know, highlighting a lot of uh, drones for good situations and, and uh, you know, the positives of drones and, and that kind of thing. And as um, companies go in and do drone delivery uh, or, you know, agriculture, like, you know, farmers start utilizing drones for agricultural work, um, you know, those are the things that are going to highlight the drones for good and there's a lot of that happening right now in fact i probably see more drones for good articles out there than i see negatives a whole lot and i know i bring you know a little bit of both to these meetings but i, I think the the winds are changing a smidge compared to you know a couple years ago this is the first time i've seen one try to limit the height to 50 feet that just seems ridiculous kind of a little bit. and is there anything in there about like what if police or firefighters want to use one and launch it over yeah. a public road or like no like... literally it's just two paragraphs <laughs> that's it it's a very short article so 
so much for those drone yeah. for good stories in uh, know, Crawfordsville, right? Indiana. I They're know. all grounded. A little bit cranky over there, apparently. All right, so um, this one is uh, a little different. So the FBI is using a system to detect drones over wildfires as well as the pirates. Um, so the FBI... <laughs> They're detecting drones using... over pilots? I said, and the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> the Federal Bureau of Investigation is using a new system to help wildland firefighters detecting, identifying, and neutralizing drones that are legally interfering with firefighting activities. First off, I am going on record as saying, please don't fly your drones over wildfires. There's a lot going on in those areas, and unless you have the explicit permission of whoever's in charge of those... Uh, uh, incidents, uh, please don't do it. Uh, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. Um, you could put people in danger. You could put uh, um, planes and helicopters in danger who are working to, to fight those fires. Uh, and uh, as somebody from a state that has a lot of this going on, uh, a, a lot of the time, it, it's very dangerous. So um, I have friends who uh, go out and do hot shots. Um, where they go out and they fight wildfires uh, during the summers here in Arizona. So uh, please, please, please don't do that. Um, so they're going to reiterate here, it's very dangerous to fly a drone near a fire at which helicopters or fixed-wing aircraft are operating. A collision could impact the windscreen, damage an engine, props, rotors, or flight control surfaces, causing a crash. If the drone is seen near a fire, the standard operating procedure is to remove all aircraft from the fire area until it's confirmed the drone has left the scene. And that puts more property and, and, and land in danger, right? So imagine being responsible because you wanted to get good pictures of a, a wildfire that somebody's house got burned down, that they couldn't contain a fire in time to, to stop that from happening. Um, I'd feel like pretty trash if that So uh, the FBI is working with the L.A. County uh, Fire Department to use a system that can detect a drone flying over the fire within 30 seconds of it being launched. Uh, when the detection equipment finds the drone and identifies the operator's location, we can very rapidly get that information to a ground intercept team who can, who can then go make contact with that drone operator and essentially get them to stop flying that drone. Uh, with a special sensor, the team can set up a boundary as large or as small as desired and get notified if a drone flies in the area, instantly obtaining precise details such as elevation, direction, speed, as well as where the drone took off from and where the controller is currently standing. So I'm assuming they're utilizing, it doesn't say how it works, but I assume they're using some kind of audio um, to capture that. Maybe some kind of digital signals. Isn't this but... exactly what Aeroscope does? Couldn't they just yeah. be using that? Yeah, and I question the efficacy of it when it comes to, you know, maybe not a DJI drone or not a commercial off-the-shelf drone. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the yeah, same we're, time... We're, he we're hearing that there are there are um, radar systems there, that can pick up non-DJI. There are non other systems DJI. out there. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, obviously, flying over a wildfire is a federal crime, punished by up to 12 months in prison um, to interfere uh, if you interfere with firefighting efforts on public land. Um, and you could face a penalty of up to $20,000 from the FAA. So um, in 2019, at least 
at least 20 documented instances of unauthorized drone flights over near wildfires in seven states. Uh, that would be Arizona, California, Colorado, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, Washington, and Minnesota. Um, so, and that got uh, operations shut down nine different times. That's a bad deal all around. So, anyway, don't do it. Um, yeah, I don't know what the wildfire situation has been out in the West this year, but so far where I'm at, it it hasn't been bad at all compared to like last year. We had smoke and wildfires everywhere. Yeah, I haven't heard anything recently, so hopefully it's, but it's hot as Hades here. So. <laughs> no wildfires I mean, here. I mean, it, it's it's not far off. I mean, the, the here, here's the issue in Arizona, right? It's dry all year long. But um, our monsoon season's coming up, in which we get a lot of our storms, and a lot of those are insane thunderstorms. So it's dry, and a lightning strike can set off something. Uh, an errant camper can set off something. People getting out of the city to go up north for a little bit, they can, you know, a cigarette butt or a campfire just not maintained. Um, that kind of stuff can really cause some problems. Um, all right, so let's see. We've got uh, UAS and firefighting, so I'm keeping the firefighting theme going here. Uh, how unmanned systems can help keep the environment safe. Uh, firefighting services worldwide are constantly innovating. Uh, uh, are constantly innovating, and the recent trend towards using uh, UAVs is no exception. Um, with uh, climate changes creating even warmer, drier conditions, increasing the risk of drought, and a longer season when fire is a real risk in many parts of the world. UAVs, also known as remotely piloted aircraft systems. Can we just come up with new? <laughs> Goodness. Um, is rapidly becoming a standard tool for use at the scene of a fire. They are a useful addition to the equipment, and many firefighters have come to rely on the information they provide during and after a major fire incident. Um, so uses of unmanned aerial vehicles and firefighting, uh, are going to be fine fire scene monitoring and assessment. And this is really key. Uh, so they can figure out where hotspots are, um, identify maybe where they need to move to, to contain a fire. Um, and then, uh, search and rescue, obviously one of the bigger, more important parts uh, of fighting a fire is saving lives and then post-fire analysis and scene documentation. So a lot of what I'm seeing uh, in terms of both, you know, police use and, and firefighter use is, you know, this kind of documentation where they'll go up and take uh, images so that they can document what's going on. And it could help with the investigation on what caused the fire, um, that kind of thing. And um, this also happens with uh, police. If they're doing crime scene uh, documentation, they can utilize drones to... to Take those images and, and preserve the entire crime scene uh, via that way. So, um, the integration of lightweight and increasing, increasingly capable radiometric thermal sensors has revolutionized the amount of information available to a fire scene commander. And information is key when lives are at stake. Um, whether planning ingress route to access a fire in a building structure or searching for people inside thermal imagery can see through the smoke to locate individuals in hot spots while keeping firefighters safe when using manned port platforms during such operations highly skilled pilots are required 
due to the reduced visibility when flying into smoke fire. The risk may be mitigated using uncrewed, remotely piloted, or automatically commanded platforms, thereby, thereby reducing stress and operator fatigue. So, you know, one of the things that has long time been a thing for UAS is it takes the danger out of it, right? Um, whether you're flying FPV as opposed to flying a fixed-wing helicopter, you can do different things with the UAV because you're not putting yourself in danger. So you can get the, the aircraft in there. You can see what's going on. Uh, and at worst case, all you're going to lose is a drone, right? So uh, pretty pretty interesting little uh thing so they, they're using this uh drone uh this uh uas up here it's a helicopter um uh as a case study um so uavs have been used for several years to help combat fire uh working in conjunction with firefighters and other public safety uh, professionals, aircraft manufacturers are introducing products with quick startup functions, high reliability, state-of-the-art thermal sensors, longer flight durations, and importantly, waterproofing for all weather and all condition operation. Uh, the use of AI, data analysis, and drone technology is giving fire departments a new suite of tools to combat fires that are growing in size, frequency, and intensity. Um, UAVs are robust tools that can be operated regardless of weather conditions, um, and these tools are also proving to be very useful to firefighters and Pretty cool. The, autom the article goes on to identify a couple different uh, things about UAVs, but uh, expect to see more of this. I mean, two, two things is, one, safety uh, in terms of not putting a pilot at risk, and number two, full-scale aircrafts are way more expensive uh, to both own and operate by a lot of agencies. Uh, this is a an entry point for them to be able to help people in their communities, you know, without having to essentially break the city budget to, to do so. So pretty incredible. All right. So we go from uh, a small city in Indiana uh, looking to limit drones from 50 feet or to, to no higher than 50 feet to uh, uh, folks in Virginia uh, doing a, uh, Beyond visual line of sight. So, um, is a nice state for that. <laughs> so, Remington, Virginia. Uh, for years, there's been a cardinal rule for flying civilian drones: keep them within your line of sight. Not just because it's a good idea; it's also the law. But some drones have recently gotten permission to soar out of their pilot's sight, and this has been happening a lot with the FAA. They've increasingly given more. Uh, waivers uh, to uh, be able to to do beyond visual line of sight. They've got corridors set up where this is uh, where they they're testing beyond visual line of sight. Um, so uh, drones can now inspect higher volt high voltage power lines across the forested Great Dismal Swamp in Virginia, and they're tracking endangered sea turtles off Florida's coast and monitoring seaports in the Netherlands and railroads from New Jersey to the rural west. Um, aviation authorities in the U.S. and elsewhere are preparing to relax some of the safeguards as they impose, or safeguards they impose to regulate a boom in off-the-shelf consumer drones over the past decade. Businesses want simpler rules that could open your neighborhood skies to new commercial applications of these low-flying machines. Although privacy advocates and some airplane and balloon pilots remain wary. Uh, for now, a small but growing 
group of power companies, railways, and delivery services like Amazon are leading the way. Well, that Amazon's really leading the way, but um, with special permission to fly drones beyond visual line of sight. As of early July, the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration has approved 230 of such waivers, one of them to Virginia-based Dominion Energy for inspecting its network of power plants and transmission lines. Um, let's see. They go on to talk about uh, railway inspection from BNSF, um, who is using uh, um, Skydio drones to do some of that. Um Let's see, the FAA said it is still reviewing how it will roll out routine operations, enabling some drones to fly beyond visual line of sight, although it has signaled that the permissions will be reserved for commercial applications and not hobbyists. So, uh, there's that. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of this going on. There's, uh, I know Walmart's with at least two different drone companies, Zipline and one other. Drone up. Drone up? Yeah. Drone Thank up? you. Drone up. And um, for Google is huge and delivery and BNSF is also uh, running their their own homebrew drone over twenty eight thousand miles of track. Yep. So they've been at this for six A years. While. Yeah, yeah. So uh, expect to see more of this. Uh, I know, I do know that uh, uh, the ultimate goal is that you shouldn't need a waiver for this process at all. Um, this is coming from Adam Bry of Skydio. Um. The uh, uh, a lot of other users are saying that drones are are blind to other aircraft in the sky, which is absolutely untrue. Uh, there's a lot of detect and avoid systems, especially in in, in drones like Skydio, um, as, as well as um, you know different operations with uh, uh, DJI has uh, ADSBN, so they can identify aircraft in the air. That so, um, anywho, I don't want to take up the whole evening here, but uh, I do have two more. Um, let's see. This is uh, something that uh, we recently talked about. Is the and, and I believe Vic Moss uh, actually talked about were the uh, rules in state parks in Oregon, um, restricting uh, drones over that, and this is. Uh, kind of an update. Um, for the last hundred years, the state parks in Oregon have been an attraction to various uh, to view various plant life, bodies of water, and animal species. However, a new addition to state parks is something that Oregonians couldn't have foreseen even a few decades ago: drones piercing the skies. There are no regulations on drone flight, takeoff, or landing within state parks. The parks can only make airborne regulations during certain mating seasons. Um. Just because people are free to fly drones through parks doesn't mean that they are free from controversy. So when a work group convened by the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department put together a proposal for drone regulation in state parks at the end of 2021 and asked for public input, it didn't take long to receive backlash. Um, the proposal stated that drones would be allowed to take off anywhere unless otherwise specified. The vagueness of the law prodded people to ask Chris Havel, Associate Director of the Oregon State Parks and Recreation Department, if their worst fears were possible. Either we're going to have a cloud of drones over every park or a wildlife desert in every park, he said. So uh, they're basically, they've put this on hold for the time being to, to continue on uh, without taking the entire evening. But 
they've put this on hold. They're going to reconvene a rulemaking uh, process to bring in uh, different people um, to see how they're going to essentially attack this issue for Oregon. Um, let's see. The work group is still formulating a mapping criteria for the parks. Once it's done, the group will give its proposal to the agency director will decide the rulemaking process should restart. It's a process not likely to happen in 2022. So does this mean they got so much feedback about when they asked for feedback that they're yeah. struggling with it? Yeah, it does. And it basically, there's people who are pro-drone that are saying, yeah, let us fly in the parks. And there's people who are pro-wildlife that's saying drones flying in parks is going to affect wildlife. Um, I have flown in Oregon. Um, and I, knew, I do know that they do restrict certain areas, uh, especially along the coast. Um, I did get asked to, to stop flying uh, while I was on the coast, which was fine. Not a big deal. Um, happy to comply. But um, there's a lot of areas where it, it's, you know, pretty open. So, um, there, and there's a lot of state park in Oregon. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, but anywho, uh, let's see, uh, this is the last one. Uh, this is interesting. I didn't know that you could do this. So I learned something today is that you can create a FOIA request into the FAA's registration data. Um, and through doing that, um, Ag Eagle, uh, requested a FOIA request, uh, looking for the types of commercial drones that, let's see, I just want to make sure I word this correctly. Uh, yeah, let's see, according to the company's analysis of official FAA Part 107 commercial drone registration data supplied to Ag Eagle uh, pursuant to its FOIA request, the EB um, was the commercial UAS of choice for US commercial drone operator, operators outnumbering all other fixed wing drones registered, including VTOL, aircraft by a large margin um, it's definitely it one of those for... cases where if a survey is funded by a certain company and they're the one who released the results you just have to wonder question it, question <laughs> it a little bit like what exactly was the foia request right well, so you could also submit your own foia and do the math too you could right yeah so uh the eb uh Ag Eagle's EB accounted for 41% of all commercial fixed wing drones, uh, drone registrations in the nation since 2016. So uh, now that is specific to fixed wing. Obviously, that doesn't count for uh, for quadcopters or you know anything multi rotor. But uh, which I would imagine a big BGI. chunk of yeah. I was gonna say so. Um, and they can't tell for recreational because you don't put it aircraft Correct. for recreational. You can, but you're not required. All right. So anyway, I just thought that was funny. But uh, that's about all I've got. Uh, Dave, what do you got for us, sir? Uh, still cranking away with the uh, uh, drone safety team. Uh, we're uh, not supposed to talk about what's going on there. Great. <laughs> That's <laughs> killing me. Makes so, you know, we're being good souls and uh, trying to uh, contribute to the safety of the NAS. 
So is that is that uh, the charter or the goal of the drone safety team is to contribute to the safety of the national airspace, or is there more detail it, than that? It is. It is to enable the part of the mission is to enable uh, safe operation and integration of UAS into the national airspace, and to do it in a data-driven manner. Well, they've right. they've done a great job because there have been no deaths associated with <laughs> drone use in the national I... airspace. I have Sounds brought perfectly that up. safe. Okay, more than once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so less regulations, and... right? Yeah. Well, no, sure. this is evidence that more regulations are even better. Because <laughs> the current ones are keeping everybody safe. So we just got to keep adding more. Well, what about the data from before the regulations <laughs> were there? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, a little, little frustration coming out. But... Uh... Yeah, and the uh, I think as we probably mentioned, uh, we had the uh, uh, AAAC um, on uh, 30 June, and uh, no new uh, taskings. And uh, the consensus from a number of folks is, hmm, interesting. Well, you know, we uh, we do observe that there's a new uh, executive deputy director of the uh, UAS uh, Integration Office, and that is Abby Smith. And Abby comes with uh, good. Uh, ATC, air traffic control, air traffic management uh, background. And any of the ATC people, and we've worked with a bunch of them, have just been uh, top, top notch and uh, very practical. So I were optimistic that that's uh, what uh, Abby will bring to the uh, table in her uh, new assignment as the executive director reporting to Jay Merkel. So they must be just taking a little break as things change around. But I'm, I was surprised that they didn't have some new urban air mobility related tasking mm -hmm. yeah tasking as well as approvals of uh, the six uh, empty seats on the uh, on the DAC, which were allocated to aam yeah yeah, yeah so it's been em lots, empty for a while now uh, you know about a year almost a year so lots of things happening behind the curtain well the whole government is darpa's pet show it's it's fun right. <laughs> they're all thinking they're working on a black project yeah so that is so well said. Yeah, next jet, we're with you. Yeah, if I if I tell you, I'll have to kill you. <laughs> it's it's goofy. I mean, here's the thing: is is you know one of the things that uh, from from our perspective, or at least from my perspective, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but you know one of the things that. Uh, the uh, Reauthorization Act tasked the FAA with is working with stakeholders. And, and stakeholders, you know, I think it has a different definition to a lot of people than, than what it has <laughs> to the general public. But um, for them, stakeholders are anybody that they can convince to, you know, uh, kind of go the way that they need them to go. And, and in our, our eyes, you know, stakeholders is going to be anybody who's doing the flying, right? So whether that's uh, companies who are innovating, um, like could be Skydio or it could be, you know, I say it with gritted teeth, but Amazon or Google Wing or anybody I like that. Iris Automation, good innovators. Yeah, Iris, you know, Zipline. Um, yeah. Those are those are going to be your, your key uh, commercial stakeholders. But then you've got, you know, people like the independent uh, commercial operators, right? Um, people that like Vic Moss represent and and Kenji represent, and then you've got the biggest group of all, 
that nine times out of 10 has the smallest representation, if any at all, which would be the recreational operators. And so, but I, I think they, they've created this, this pocket for themselves in which they have yet to approve CBOs. So they can't say, well, CBOs are going to be our stakeholders, should be. Um, so, well, we, we can't create those because we haven't decided how that's going to work yet, even though it's supposed to happen, you know, two and a half years ago. But uh, so they don't have to work with us, you know. So it, it causes a lot of drama. So, and yeah, that's why, oh, yeah, one of the things I'm I'm very optimistic with uh, Abby Smith coming in. She is uh, keenly interested in STEM programs, and she is also uh, thrilled with the uh, gender-neutral uh, language uh, tasking group that uh, we were a key part of. So uh, uh, good piece of work there. And uh, we're also, of course, uh, involved in the uh, Alex and I were both involved in the K through 12 tasking group. So we uh, will come uh, to meet Abby with um, uh, some credentials already. And, and uh, we will remind her of our uh, good partnership with uh, Flight Test and their Flight Test STEM program and also their far reach, just as you mentioned, Josh, to millions of recreational UAS operators. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's that's what we'd like to see is a lot of recreational representation because we are the ones most in the sky, and uh, it's very important to get, you know, that that kind of feedback. So, but anywho, uh, I, I'm off my soapbox for five seconds. So, <laughs> Alex, you got anything for us, bud? Um, any races recently, coming? Race, races coming up? Uh, I think I've I've had races. The every weekend the past four weeks I think nice and then one coming up this weekend. You still have drones uh, in the air? Surprisingly, yes. Oh man, uh, it must be getting I better. Was... Either that or he's not trying hard enough. <laughs> well, no one, no one's hacked, no one's hacked into my ghost yet. <laughs> hey, there you go, there you go. Um, and but... don't use ELRS. <laughs> yeah. I was. Before this, I was flying. I was at my local field uh, practicing the global qualifier. Nice. So Excellent. Got about two and a half hours of flight time in. Wow. That's dedication. Great. Yeah. Go. I'm gonna tomorrow's gonna be a tomorrow's gonna be a repair day repair day though. <laughs> um, so maybe we overestimated. <laughs> well, no. I flew the same quad the entire time. Hey, that's good. For about, I think maybe it's close to twenty some packs. Wow. Hey, if it makes you feel any better, I came back from from Flight Fest with two broken drones. So. <laughs> How'd you break them flying uh, in a big open field in flight test? Uh hitting gates actually. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> you know you're supposed to go through them. Yes, them. yes, I do. I was, I was. They're, they're the bigger ones, right? The huge ones. No. No, they're not. Oh, they're the five by five. They're the five by fives. Told you you needed the seven by six. I don't need a bigger one. I don't smaller need a car. One. Just because I happened to hit it doesn't mean you know I needed a bigger one. You could hit it no matter how big it is. You're so you're so judgmental. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> but yeah, I gotta do but some yeah, repairs. We... All right. We did get some ACK members in goggles and flying That's a little right. bit at that DAC meeting. Yeah, so, can you tell us uh, any more about that? 
we got Emacs to sponsor some Tiny Hawks, or well, Easy Pilots, which are their V1 Tiny Hawks. Nice. And um, they sent us two of those, and we, during the lunch break for the ACT members, they came over and flew some of those, and they went. Very notable. Some of them tried to get through some gates. Two of the guys yep. who you who you had flying, very notable, the chair of the ACK, Houston Mills, uh, vice president at UPS, and uh, Brian Wynn, president and CEO of AUVSI. So way to go. Yep. Great job. And then with uh, Brian Wynn at AUVSI, he also uh, went out to one of the local races with me last nice. weekend. Yeah, this past weekend. Right. So he came out and visited, took a look, and watched how the race went, had some he had fun, and so excellent. Nice. Good, good for you there. Excellent. Good job. Good job. Dan, anything for us? Do any flying while you're on vacation? No, didn't even do any flying. Just uh, enjoyed being on vacation in, in different ways. <laughs> there you go. Although, on one vacation, I did. Uh, it wasn't. Isn't really. It's uh, somewhat close to an Air Force Base kind of area, f- uh, flight training stuff, and. All of a sudden, I heard this like rumbling sound outside, and went out on the deck and looked up, and there was two fighter jets like just zooming around straight above me and dropping flares. Oh, that's cool! Um, and even though you could just barely see them up in the sky, it was so loud I couldn't even hear somebody mm-hmm. through a sliding uh, patio door that was open. <laughs> like yep. they had to wait until they flew away to be able to talk to each other again. So I used to drive by Luke Air Force Base. Um and uh to get to get to work and uh it was really cool because luke air force base is a training air force base and uh they do a lot of f-16s and now i think f-35s but uh one day i was driving along the my my path took me right along the start of the runway and i'm driving and i've got the radio turned up loud and just rolling by, not really thinking anything of it. And all of a sudden, my window just starts. <laughs> and I look over, and there's an F-16, like, in near on full afterburner, right there, about ready to take off. I thought my truck was going to go. It was crazy. <laughs> I'm surprised my windows didn't break. It was that, uh, it was that crazy. But yeah, those things are super loud. They're awesome. Yeah, I didn't even look it up, but I was probably in a no-fly area, most likely, if uh, uh, they're yeah, doing probably. training yeah. flights overhead. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, well, anybody else have anything for us? Any questions from anybody Any in the question? in the channel or uh, watching? Comments? All right. Well, thank you all. Appreciate you guys joining us this evening. Um, Let us know if there's anything uh, we missed, anything you need us to cover, any questions you have, we're available. Uh, Do appreciate you guys joining us for this evening. And uh, have a great night. See you all.